All right, so let me ask you a question really quickly. How many movies have you seen about war? What about sports where there's a big comeback? Like, seriously, how many times does Rocky have to beat the Russian? <laughs> what about uh, racing cars? Drugs? Sex? How about rock and roll? <laughs> the world loves the sympathetic nervous system. I think it's that kind of like no pain, no gain mentality. I, I hear people like, yeah, like I, I never sleep in. I don't take any days off. Where people are in the gym, they're like, you know what? I had percentage work written for today, but like now nah, let's work up to a max. You know what? I'm feeling a little tired today. You know what? Take an extra scoop of pre-workout. Turn up the music. I don't feel like doing mobility work. Let's skip that. You know what? Let's do some assault bike sprints instead. You know how these people end up not as champions. They end up broken. I feel like everyone wants to be a lion, like that kind of mentality. But here's the thing. I looked it up. Lions sleep 18 to 20 hours a day. And in a hunt, their physiology is maxed out. If you looked at what's going on under the hood between the lion and the gazelle, it's pretty much the exact same thing. Both their physiology are just maxed out. Both are in fight or flight. Both are completely sympathetic. Both of their lives depend on it. But after the hunt, the lion's going to downregulate hard. And yet people, humans, tend not to do that anymore in the 21st century. Like we just don't really tend to downregulate much. And if we want to learn to be able to experience higher level physiology like the lion, then we have to learn and we better learn how to shift state. Hey, it's Ben Wise and this is The Fitness Movement. Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver incredible training-related content to people just like you. I don't just podcast. I write in-depth fitness articles. I break down common movements in the sport of fitness. I program workout plans, and I offer one-on-one coaching for competitive and recreational athletes. And the best part is most of what I have on ZorFitness.com is totally free. Check out these resources by going to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. Hope to see you there. And welcome back to my rant on shifting state. Really, this is a a podcast about sympathetic versus parasympathetic. So those are two different branches of our nervous system. That's what I'm referring to as nervous system state or shifting state. It's sympathetic versus parasympathetic. So you can think fight or flight versus rest and digest. And I'll get into those a little bit more here in a second. But that's what I'm going to start off talking about. And then I'll move into how state actually applies to functional fitness performance, because that's why we're all here. And then how we need to understand how recognition comes before regulation. So we must be able to recognize where we're at before we can regulate where we're at. And lastly, I'll go through ways to learn to shift state. So progressing yourself through four different layers of complexity. So if you remember, I referred to it as sympathetic being that fight or flight branch of the nervous system and the parasympathetic being the rest and digest state. Parasympathetic is largely responsible for recovery. Sympathetic is largely responsible for performance. And yes, the world loves performance, including myself. But in order to have performance, you must have the opposite side of that coin, which is the down regulation, the parasympathetic. So just like I referred to right there, I really like thinking about the nervous system as a coin. If you picture a coin in your mind, you'll see that it has heads and tails and they're on opposite sides of the coin. So inherently, if the head is showing, that means that the tail is being turned down. If the one side's turned up, the other side is inherently turned down. It's the exact same thing with the nervous system. If the sympathetic nervous system is turned up, so fight or flight is turned on, that means inherently that your parasympathetic nervous system is down-regulated. It's just, there's not going to be any activation there. Likewise, we can start to flip that where we can now make an activity more parasympathetic dominant 
where the fight or flight mode is minimalized because it's turned down as the other side's turned up. So you can think of it as a coin and we just have to learn how to flip this coin. And that's what I'm referring to when I'm saying shift state. It's how can you shift from parasympathetic to sympathetic and vice versa and be able to do that in a way that is predictable and controllable. So collectively, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, they're referred to as the autonomic nervous system. So if we think of autonomic, something that's automatic is shifting without you necessarily having control of it. And a lot of people think that, yeah, you know what, I don't have any control of it. And that, frankly, that's not accurate at all. Let me just paint this picture really quickly. So let's think about an automatic car. And I like to draw this analogy. So if you have an automatic car, people are like, yeah, I'm not shifting the gears of that car. You know, I don't control whether the nervous system is turned up or turned down. And that would be maybe somewhat accurate, but it certainly does not describe someone's driving experience. So someone who's driving an automatic car, they know pretty accurately when that car is going to be shifting and they're pretty much in control of when it's shifting, even though they aren't the ones shifting it. So like, even though maybe you're not consciously in control of when you're shifting, you can very easily and accurately see indicators of when your car is going to shift. So practically, if you're at a red light and the red light turns green, you're going to step on the gas. You predict that your engine is going to rev up and then it's going to shift. And the harder you step on that gas pedal, it's going to wait longer to shift. If you ease off the gas, you fully expect it to downshift. If you get to a hill and you start to press into the gas pedal a little bit harder and a little bit harder and all of a sudden, yes, it downshifts, you expect that. So even though you aren't the one shifting the gears, you are certainly very accurately able to guess as to when your car is going to shift, even though you aren't necessarily the one shifting the gears. So what we refer to this as is a voluntary influence. So yes, it's an autonomic system where you're not necessarily manually controlling what you're doing, like if you had a stick car, for example, but we certainly have voluntary influence over that autonomic system. And that's what we're talking about here. Most people don't have that voluntary influence. They're unable, they aren't literate in how to shift state. And so being able to figure out what characteristics of change occur when I'm in a certain state easiest way to do this is if I just give you an example. And to be honest, most of our lives now, fight or flight really isn't super obvious as to how it's beneficial. Day to day, we don't need that fight or flight system because our lives are just kind of cushy now. So here's a good example. So I used to teach high school and as part of my health class, I would teach the biology of different body systems. So that included the endocrine system that included the nervous system. And as part of that, I went over fight or flight or the sympathetic parasympathetic idea. And I always gave my students an article to read. So the story, it was an Australian mother, I believe, and she went to the grocery store with her new infant and she set the baby carrier behind the car as she was unloading some of her stuff to get ready to go and to get groceries. And she realized that she, well, she didn't realize the car started rolling back because she didn't put the e-brake on and the car rolled onto her child or started to roll onto her child and she was unable to stop the car. So she literally grabbed it and picked the car up. She had like a, a small sedan and that's a perfect example of when fight or flight kicked in. Like just imagine as a mother or a father and your infant is going to get crushed by a car, the amount of adrenaline and the nervous system response and the endocrine response that you have from an event like that. That's a great example of the fight or flight response occurring in a 21st century environment. So if we think about what's going to change in her body, there's going to be a bunch of changes that all shift to make her as prepared as possible for this survival scenario. So to start off, we could think her heart's automatically going to start pumping much harder. Her bronchi and her lungs are going to dilate so that she can take on more oxygen. 
her capillaries and her peripheral tissue. So think about like towards like your skin, they're going to get constricted because in a survival setting, if you get a cut, you don't want to bleed out. The liver is going to send out sugar to the limbs. Digestion in the gut is going to get shut down on the blood flow is going to get shunted away to the limbs. Sensatory processing is going to go way up. So everything oftentimes in emergency situations kind of appears as it's slow motion because you're processing everything so quickly. Motor unit recruitment goes way up. So in other words, your ability to be able to harness your muscle mass greatly increases. So most of the time you don't harness anywhere close to 100%, even if you're in like a max lift scenario. But in a survival situation, like I described, she's going to harness 100% of her muscle mass so that she can put her infant daughter to safety. And it doesn't matter if she injured herself. It doesn't matter if she got a little cut or an abrasion or she pulled a muscle because her daughter survived. So this sounds awesome. We have all this incredible, basically superhuman abilities when we're in fight or flight. So why don't we just like walk around in fight or flight all the time? Like that sounds great. Number one, it's super metabolically expensive. So we're we're not efficient at all and our body loves to be efficient. So it's not an efficient system being all the time. And that's one of the reasons why. If we're constantly mobilizing sugar to our limbs, for example, that would be a great way to be diabetic, not to have superhuman performance. If we think about, okay, if I'm always shunting blood flow away from my limbs, we can think about people who have chronically cold hands. They're probably also stressed out or anxiety ridden where they have these issues all the time. So we can think about tunnel vision. Tunnel vision, while it's super helpful and can be a useful tool to be impulsive because you want to be impulsive in survival situations so that you react quickly and you don't want to hesitate. However, most of the time we don't want to be impulsive. That's where the idea of a poverty mindset or a scarcity mindset comes into play. You want to be able to think long-term, big picture, be able to think about goals, processes, long-term events. You want to be able to think about all those things and not have to immediately snap to decisions. We can think about blood flow and the digestive system. So if we're shunning blood flow away from the digestive system, so that might be great short-term for increased athletic potential. However, in the long-term, that means that we have indigestion, that we might get ulcers and things like that. If we think about how we're not going to be healing and prioritizing the immune system during this time, during this fight or flight scenario, and that's great if we're having a short-term maximal thing that we are presenting ourselves with, but in the long-term, that's super harmful because now we're not able to fight off infections, we're not able to reduce inflammation, we're not able to heal our injuries and little nagging things, so we're going to have less recovery in the long-term. We also have to realize that the sympathetic nervous system as a whole is going to be a catabolic state. So we're breaking down constantly because we want to use those fuels, whereas parasympathetic is anabolic. It's your time to grow, redevelop, synthesize, put all those systems back in place where we're able to go out and perform again. So you can see how these two systems are going to be working off each other and kind of having this interplay of when one's turned up, the other one's turned down. And you're probably going to be able to see how both now have some utility for an athlete. The thing we need to realize as an athlete or as a coach working with athletes is the majority of the time, almost all the time, like 99 plus percent of the time, you want to be parasympathetic. So this is what we're referring to as parasympathetic dominance. You want to have your dominant system that you are living in day to day to be parasympathetic. Most people, however, even in the 21st century here, when we don't have a lot of stressors, but they're kind of these constant annoyances that are always building us. We're always kind of on in the 21st century. So what we need to realize is that the 21st century is making our lives very difficult to become parasympathetic dominant. 
in the past, it was most of the time you're kind of laying around, you're maybe gathering some food, you're doing day-to-day things. However, there's not a lot of inherent stressors moment by moment. And then you might have a really big one come up all of a sudden where another tribe attacks your village, where a lion walks into the camp, where you got other things going on, and all of a sudden it's fight or flight really quickly. And then that situation is either completely averted or you're dead. So either way, that doesn't really matter. And you're back to being parasympathetic. Think of it as if someone like jumps out and scares you and you're like, <gasps> and that whole response of that sympathetic branch takes place in your body. Imagine what happens when you realize that like, oh yeah, that's past now. And you're like, <sighs> right. That idea of like you are letting go, you're coming back to the parasympathetic very quickly. That's exactly what would happen in the past. Um, another good example of this, if you were ever at an outdoor sporting event and it was super cold outside and you weren't dressed for it and you got really cold for a long period of time and you were low grade sympathetic that whole time, when you got back into the warmth and you probably had something to eat, maybe it was by a fire, you got nice and cozy and warm and full and you fall asleep right away. So that's exactly what we're talking about here, that downshifting, that parasympathetic dominance we're striving for day to day. However, most of the time that doesn't happen in the 21st century where you go from get up, check your email, check social media, go out the door, listening to music as we're in the car, going to work. We're in six different meetings. We got emails pinging us all day long. We have all these different responsibilities. Go straight to the gym. We hammer it hard. We jump in the car again. We never downshift or downregulate. We just go straight back into family life. We're kind of remaining foggy from our workout almost because it was so intense. And then we go straight to dinner from dinner to doing dishes and getting ready for the next day and getting the kids to bed. And then you have about 30 minutes to take a breath and then it's back to the next day again. And we never really have time to downshift. And that's part of the issue with this shifting state is that we have to create space and habits that allow this to happen. So you might be asking yourself, how does this apply to functional fitness? Like, that's why I'm here. I'm wanting to get more fit. Yes, all the physiology stuff is cool, but I'm here for the functional fitness. I'm here for the performance aspect of this. And that's why I'm here too, right? So, so we have to understand that this all is going to apply. And the easiest way that I can put this is that different types of workouts require different nervous system states. So another way to say this would be different types of workouts require different levels of arousal. So we can think of sometimes you're going to need higher levels of arousal if it's a very sympathetic dominant workout, like for example, strength biased workouts, maxillus scenarios, that's a very sympathetic dominant activity. And sometimes we're going to need a lower level of arousal. So we're going to need a parasympathetic dominant state to be able to maximize performance in that scenario. And this is more so endurance activities and sustainable work. And I think the easiest examples is often when we actually mess this up. So if you've ever found yourself like completely gassed in the first half or even quarter of a workout, then you are making an error in your pacing. And likely that is stemming from the fact that you are too sympathetic in that workout. So you're in this fight or flight mode because of maybe you got caught up racing other people in class. Um, Maybe the music's super loud. You're just already kind of an anxious person. You're going all day. You got all this stuff going on and you tend to be too sympathetic and you tend to get gassed, so to speak, blow up early in a workout because of that. Or if you're on the opposite side of that, sometimes if you ever found yourself being unexcitable before a big lift, unexcitable is another way of just kind of saying that you're burnout and kind of toasted that your nervous system just isn't able to go there. So even if it's a a relatively heavy attempt and you just can't get excited for that and you just kind of feel sluggish the whole time, that's another sign that you are kind of way too overextended in your nervous system state and that you're very parasympathetic because your body shifted you back into that state because you need to be recovering, but you're still going out and trying to do that and you're just overextending yourself. 
And most often that person is going from like work, like their, their actual job to working out to the family responsibilities. And they're always go, go, go. They're sympathetic, sympathetic, sympathetic the whole time. There's no chance to literally be able to stop and breathe. There's no chance for recovery during that. And there's no chance to shift back into a more parasympathetic dominant state, which is ultimately going to be the key to recovery and truly actually developing your athletic prowess and potential as a whole. And I think a really good example of this is animals in general, but I'll use my dog in particular. His name's Max and he's about eight months old. So he's still a puppy and he's got all this energy. And one of the reasons he has all this energy is because he has no responsibilities. He doesn't even have to worry about where his food comes from. He doesn't have to worry about a heat bill or a mortgage or other relationships that he's got going on. He has no stream of consciousness, so he doesn't have any voices in his head as he's trying to sleep at night. He doesn't have all these other worries. He has no stressors besides his physical stressors. And you can see this play out in his day-to-day life where he will go from sleeping most of the day, completely relaxed, completely parasympathetic. And then within a matter of literally a second or two seconds, if something triggers his fight or flight response, that he will completely flip the sides of that nervous system coin to a sympathetic state and he can go all out for a period of time and as soon as he's done going all out for that period of time he will flip that coin back over and just completely crash you also see this with kids kids are a great example of this is too if you've if you have kids in your life watch them and learn from them you'll see them playing you'll see them avoiding a lot of the stressors that come with life and just kind of being carefree a lot of the time and that that has a ton of advantages especially in a physical performance space So the great thing about Max is that his intuition is pure. He's never been sold anything. He's never had a coach mess him up. He's never had been fed false information. He's never had bad research that's been kind of passed down to him. He's pure. So he doesn't need to know anything because he has his nature. And I think that's something that we can learn a lot. If we can get back to that, we can certainly yield a lot of results from that. But I believe the biggest takeaway from watching animals, watching young kids who don't have a ton of responsibilities, don't have a lot of outside stressors besides their physical stressors, is how quickly they are able to shift state. They go very quickly from sympathetic, all out, running around, playing, max effort to crashing, and they can downregulate and upregulate very hard. And that's something that we slowly over time tend to lose. And it's something that we have to be able to reteach ourselves as we go about this. So the big question from this is how do we learn to control and manipulate our state? If we want to learn to shift state, how do we best go about that? And this is where I say recognition before regulation. So we have to be able to recognize what state we are actually at before we are able to regulate and decide where we want to go and where we need to shift state. So if we want to learn to shift state, we first have to recognize which state we're in. So so ultimately, we're going to have to ask ourselves two different questions all the time. And this will slowly become an unconscious process, but initially it's going to have to be a conscious process where you ask yourself, where am I at? So what state am I at? Number one. And then number two, where do I need to be? So what state ideally do I need to be in? And then this comes with competence, but how do I close that gap? How do I, in other words, shift state? So one of my goals with this podcast is move people through what's called the hierarchy of competence. So you're going to start an unconscious incompetence. So in other words, you're not aware that you can't actually control something. And likely that's where you're at before you started listening to this podcast. And then hopefully, as you started listening to this podcast, you moved into conscious incompetence where you're now aware of the fact that you actually aren't able to control and manipulate your state. So hopefully after listening to this podcast, you're able to start to move into conscious competence where as you're consciously focused on these things that you are able to be competent at them so that you're able to shift state while you're focusing on it. 
And eventually, if you practice this long enough, you'll move into unconscious competence where you are actually doing it correctly, but now you don't have to consciously think about this. And this is the goal is for you to be able to practice this enough where you don't have to ask yourself, where do I need to be at anymore? Because you automatically shift into the correct state at the correct time. So let's talk about manipulating state in workouts. We will never be able to manipulate state in a workout setting, which is needed, by the way, for higher level performance. But we will never be able to do that unless we get away from being able to focus on the actual movements themselves. So if you're always stuck at a tier one level, that is the movement. That is you being able to think about and understand the movement. So you're always thinking about keeping your heels down in your thruster. If you're always thinking about waiting to pull, moving through the back end of your kipping pull up, if you're always having to think about an actual cue as you're doing a movement, then you'll never be able to focus on regulating state in a workout. So unless you spend enough time and enough reps in a movement where you don't have to think about anything while you're doing that movement, then you're never going to be able to focus on state. But once you've mastered the tier one, so in other words, the actual movements themselves, then we can move to tier two, which that would be things like time management, things like racing other people, things like regulating state. And we can only get to the tier two skills if we have spent the time in the tier one movement competencies. So unless you are good enough at the movements where you don't have to think about them, then you will never be able to shift state appropriately in a workout. And this is one of the reasons why I always want people to start to learn to shift state outside of a workout setting. And this is part of moving into this competence arena. That's where I'm going next is that I'll explain how we can start to add these layers so that we can develop the skill of being able to actually shift state. So next, we're actually going to get into ways to learn to shift state. So there's four layers here, and I'm going to help you move through each of these four layers. We can think of it just like a progression. So layer one is going to be controlled environments, the simplest things that you can do. Layer two is we're starting to add stress, and stress can be a very broad category in this case, and I'll explain what that means exactly. Layer three is adding novel mixed modal work, and then layer four is changing the environment, so going to competitions, getting outside of your little bubble where everything's just right. All right, let's go back to layer one. Layer one is these controlled environments. And I want people to start to just learn to downregulate. And I want people to start to downregulate because of 21st century life in general. Plus, learning is a parasympathetic activity. And if you're trying to learn how to do this, it's helpful if you're actually parasympathetic a lot of the time. And for most people, they have a very, I should say, a much easier time upregulating where they get hyperstimulated and anxious and ready to go. And they have a much harder time coming back down from those things. So in this first layer, controlled environments is about being able to learn to down regulate. And this is all going to start with the breathing. It's going to be belly breathing. It's going to be nasal breathing. It's going to be your resting posture, basically. So a really good way to start to down regulate is if you just start to elongate your exhales a bit. So if a one to two inhale to exhale ratio, where maybe you're doing a three count on the inhale, a six count on the exhale, or a four count on the inhale, an eight count on the exhale. And this is kind of like pramayama, yoga breathing. This will be practiced a lot, but just learning to start to elongate the exhales really helps to um, foster that parasympathetic state. 
So other things that you can do to help foster this parasympathetic state is having a soft and distant focus. So we can think about having a tunnel vision focus as going to be very sympathetic. So if we do things to counter that, so we don't stare at screens all day right in front of our face and that we can look off and actually see things in the distance and we'll do breathe a little bit deeper. And if we don't hyperventilate and we do all these things to kind of settle ourselves down and we blink, if we turn our head once in a while, if we do things that to cue our body into basically saying that you don't need to be in a fight or flight state. It helps us to downregulate. So those are the things that we're doing in this first layer here. Then step number two is adding stress. So once we're able to actually cope with just daily life in a very controlled environment, then we can start to add different types of stressors to be able to basically test ourselves and see if we're still able to bring ourselves back down once we've exposed ourselves to a stressor. And this stressor could be any number of things. Exercise is just one of those things that it potentially could be. And I actually wrote an article on cold showers, and essentially it's about how you can use it to start to foster this voluntary control over this autonomic system. And I'll link to that in the show notes. It's zorfitness.com slash podcast slash 008 in this case. The episode number is always just a three-digit number. Go check that out. I'll link to it. So the cold is just one of those stressors. A stressor could be just a change in environment where you always do your breath work in the same room of your house at the same time of day. And we start to switch up those things. It could be moderate aerobic work where we're not having any loud music. We're not racing anyone else. We're not in a class setting. It could be walking. It could be rowing at a 5K time trial pace plus 20 or 30 seconds. So a very slow, very sustainable pace. Something that you could do for three or four hours. And to just be able to start to control your breath, still have those nice long exhales, still be very parasympathetic, very soft, disenfocused, blinking, using your peripheral vision, being able to nasal and belly breathe, all those cues that are going to help teach your body to have this exercise be non-stressful. Once we're able to still maintain parasympathetic dominance in those areas, then we can start to add the next layer. So then layer three, this is where we're adding novel mixed modal work. So AKA your workout of the day, a class-like setting where sometimes this is very necessary for you to have a sympathetic dominant workout where this is a strength, this is a max lift, this is something where you really do want to compete and it's a short, intense workout, then by all means go to that, but just realize that you have to be able to switch down after that. Other times you'll need lower arousal because it's primarily a more of an endurance sustainable work where it's a very parasympathetic dominant activity. And this doesn't happen near as often in class settings because honestly, most of the work in CrossFit is pretty lactic or anaerobic in nature. So we can think of that as just being much more SNS dominant, but being able to come down from that after we've actually had an effort like that's extremely important skill. And we can only do that if we've gone through layers one and two and realize that, yes, sometimes in certain workouts, you're going to have to be a little bit more parasympathetic, especially in the beginning part of those workouts. And then as you get towards the latter parts, being able to start to switch into a more sympathetic dominant state is perfectly fine because at that point you can cope with it. And just so you know, the traditional strength and conditioning model fits relatively nicely onto these two ends of the spectrum where it's either strength biased, very heavy lifts, or kind of more enduring, sustainable aerobic work. And that doesn't always happen in our sport. In the sport of fitness, we get all kinds of weird things that are mashed together. And sometimes those things are kind of contrasting by nature. So two different scenarios that I'm going to go through here quick, max effort lactic work, and then also tension contrast. So in other words, you have really high tension and really low tension things paired together and being able to navigate that. These two scenarios are extremely important for us to be able to monitor and be able to regulate where we're at in terms of our state. So first, that max effort lactic work, something like 18.2A, that workout would be a really great example. It was one to 10, so one, one, two, two, three, three of dumbbell squats and bar facing burpees. 
And that was the first part. And then we went from a very lactic effort. It was pretty short lactic effort. So that was a pretty SNS dominant thing. But you had to calm yourself down over a course of a few minutes because then you had to go in and make several heavy attempts at a max squat clean. And if you weren't able to actually come down between those two events where you were able to bring your heart rate down, bring your blood pressure down, being able to regain a little bit at least of parasympathetic control during that time before you go back into a max lift scenario where you have to be able to turn up and be able to create all that tension and a big burst of energy. Those things can be on opposite ends of the spectrum, and we need to be able to shift state to be able to do well in those sorts of workout environments. The other example is rather than being complete work and rest, kind of like that was where it was high effort, rest period, high effort again. So this is going to be a contrast, but it's going to be within the workout. So you never stop moving, but you have to be able to turn up and turn down based on things. So this would be a good example of this aerobic agalactic kind of pairing where it's four rounds for time. This could be a great example. Four rounds for time, 800 meter run and two deadlifts at 95% of your one rep max. So this is probably not something that you'd see very often, but it's a really great example where 800 meter run, maybe just say it's a four minute 800 meter run. So it's a pretty aerobic effort. And then you're going immediately into something that is highly anaerobic, highly strength-based, something that you need a ton of tension to be able to do successfully, especially across four rounds. So it's basically a max effort lift. So you have to be able to go from being really sustainable, really relaxed, really efficient to max effort, high tension to be able to contrast those two things. And then as soon as you're done to be able to completely relax again. So if if we watched a beginner do this, they'd have way too much tension on the run where they blow up early in the run and that causes them to miss deadlifts in later rounds, or they don't come in with enough tension and then they're missing deadlifts. So the elite athletes who are able to regulate state very well and very quickly be able to shift between these states, you'll see that they come in from the run. It was a very relaxed and sustainable. They'll flip a switch, so to speak, shift state, and now they're able to hit those two deadlifts at a very high tension, go through them really quickly, and then you'll see them take like one nice long and be able to go back out in the run and be nice and relaxed and fluid and efficient once again. And those two things are complete opposite ends of the spectrum and be able to flip those switches as you need to be able to shift state up and down. This is the skill a shifting state that we're talking about and something that we need in the sport of fitness to be successful. Another really good example of what I would call a tension contrast workout would be 19.2. So it was 50 double unders, 25 toes to bar, 15 squat cleans at 135, 95, 50, 25, 13 at 185, 125, 50, 25, 11 at 225, 145, 9 at 275, 175, and then 7 at 315, 205. So you'll see most people, like the average person who does that workout, they're going to get through like rounds one and two, and it's going to be lactic the entire time. So they're sympathetic the entire time that they're going through that, and they kind of blow up by the time they get even eight minutes into that, and they'll probably get capped at that first time mark. And for that athlete, they just weren't able to control state. And part of that is because it was completely anaerobic effort. So if we compare that experience to someone like Rich Froning on 19.2, and he's the one who won on the male side of things, he's going to make the double unders and toes to bar aerobic, as well as the squat cleans in like the first round or two relatively aerobic. So to be able to do that and just kind of be able to methodically move through those things, he's staying fairly parasympathetic in the first part of that workout. And then as the weights get heavier, he's able to start to switch into a more sympathetic dominant tone. And then he's able to hit those heavy weights, but immediately transition back into double unders, 
toes to bar back into a more relaxed, efficient state as he's doing that, more parasympathetic. And then again, as he's getting into the 11, into the round of nine, into the round of seven, he's certainly flipping into a much more sympathetic dominant tone so that he can be tense and brace and be able to be rigid as he's hitting those squat cleans at a very heavy weight. And then lastly, if we go into layer four, this is where we're changing the environment. So for a lot of people, they're like, yes, I have my setup at my gym. I always lift in the same corner. I have my same weightlifting shoes on. I have my same pre-workout that I have every single time. I have my same training partners. It's the same time of day. Everything's nice and controlled and perfect. And in some ways, that's probably helpful for a lot of people, especially if they're not necessarily competitors and helps them be as comfortable as possible in a uncomfortable environment that is working out, that is fitness. So but if we think about a competitor, The goal for them is not to necessarily be comfortable in training. The goal is to prepare yourself for competition. So in this case, we need to be starting to do things that switch up the environment. So give them the rusty bar in the corner and make them snatch up to a max. Give them different times a day where they have to work out, where you have to do an AM and a PM session. Now you have to spike your cortisol twice in the day and you have to be able to respond to that and you have to be able to get parasympathetic twice as often and you have to be able to shift state and be able to do these things. You have to go from an aerobic effort to a lactic effort to, and there's so many layers that we can go into for this and shifting state is just one of those layers and it's something that as a coach or as an athlete, you need to be able to pull apart and to be able to understand how this fits into your total model of your training and the overall context of your fitness practice. So if I can have an athlete and I have them be able to ask themselves, where am I at? Where do I need to be? And how do I close that gap? Then we're really on to something. And if I can get them to do that without having to think consciously as they're going through that workout, then they have potential for elite performance and getting out of the way of their own physiology. And it all stemmed from the fact that they're able to shift state. And as always, stay the course. And I truly appreciate all of you listening. In order for me to keep doing what I'm doing with the fitness movement, it's really important that I have people listening and following along with the podcast. That's how I'm going to be able to continue to do what I'm doing. So if you do enjoy these shows, please send them to your friends, your fellow fitnessers who would enjoy this type of content. And of course, it's always helpful if you leave a rating or review. So I appreciate all of you very much. And I really value you being a part of this community. Hey, it's Ben again. And one of my main responsibilities besides producing content like the fitness movement is being a coach. I work one-on-one with athletes to create an individualized plan to help them reach their goals. So let's say you hire me. The first thing I'll do is learn about you. We'll jump on a video call and chat. And this is something we do every training cycle. It becomes a very regular part of our schedule, which allows us to stay on the same page with things. I'll also take you through an in-depth assessment to really get a very accurate, detailed look at where you're at and what your specific limitations are. Then it's my job to create a plan to help you achieve your goals. In other words, taking you from where you're at to where you want to be. And here's the thing is that I will be 100% the person to program every workout for you. And when you send me film and tag me in your videos, I'll be the one providing adjustments for your technique and cues to help you correct your movement errors. So you pay me month by month and there's zero commitment. You have nothing to risk and all the gains to make. Sign up today by going to zorfitness.com slash coaching or email me at ben at zorfitness.com.